Welcome to another episode of Pod for Good. I am your chief philanthropod, Jesse Ulrich. And I'm your vice admiral, work from homopod, Chris Miller. And this is a podcast where we hear from the change agents and experts trying to make the world a more resilient place. Today's guest is Mark Baseman, senior admin evangelist for Salesforce.com. We talked to Mark about using technology to solve organizational needs for nonprofits, whether the current crisis will lead to a fundamental shift in how organizations use technology and resources to help everyone make better technology decisions. Enjoy, everyone, and also wash your hands. We are very excited to have Mark Baseman, who is the senior admin evangelist from Salesforce, all the way from San Diego. Hi, Mark. Hi. Hi, Jesse. Hi, Chris. Hello. Nice to be with you. You know, people should know we are recording this on March 16th, so day one of the apocalypse, day two. Well, I guess we're not it sure. depends. Yeah, we have some people, been the apocalypse been a has been a slow build. build. Yeah, it's been a slow build, yeah. 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 So, Today is like lockdown day. Yes, mm-hmm. lockdown day. This is the first sort of Monday back and, you know, first Monday of spring break for many people and, uh, you know... People are out of toilet paper and, uh, you know, so oil will be next and then uh, Mad Max time. So, yep. Yep. On that that's, note. That's, mm-hmm. that's the progression. Yes. Let's, let's have a podcast. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if you saw, but there are locust swarms in, in Africa. I now, saw that. So yes. I, I don't know. I guess darkness is next. And then the firstborn child, I think. is. You, you is forgot about blood. Blood. Yes. Mm. So, yep. so these are the plagues. We've yeah. Got some, yeah. Uh, I didn't see monkey gang fight on the plague list, but uh, that was pretty cool. And uh, that was pretty amazing. The Thai monkey gang fight. Wow. There, amazing. There is a plague that's just wild beasts with no okay, extra information. So, okay. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, we are. For all we know, it could be Thai monkey gang fights. Yeah. Thai monkey gang fights. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the 11th plague, if the list continued, would be technology. So transitions wow, all right that was really smooth i know smooth. thank you yeah yeah i'm very good transitions. so it is technology the plague or well i mean technology will someday kill us so mm, the robots mm-hmm. terminator they're already here yeah they're already here this has got this has started off really well it has it has all right mark i want to talk to you about databases Ooh, let's that sounds great so do you, do you want to talk more generally about nonprofits and technology or do you want to dive right into databases no I'm i guess either way. yeah let's start with nonprofits and technology so <laughs> no, no, let's start ultra specific yeah. and then work back out so for many years while you were in boston you were uh, another kind of evangelist for for salesforce.org which was the sort of nonprofit wing of salesforce.com correct that's correct. For people for people who don't know, if you are a five hundred one c three, you are able to get Salesforce for free, correct? Um, yes, uh, I will. I, I'll caveat that a little bit. All um, right. I, we don't like to say for free. Uh, we like to say that you get ten licenses of our product donated, um, and we can we can talk about this. Uh, but there is a distinction, right? Because your time is not free, and getting a piece of enterprise software like Salesforce set up for your organization takes. Uh, potentially a significant amount of time. So mm-hmm. yes, although we do not charge you for the user licenses, it is not free. <clears throat> and they're they're actually organiza- an organization here in Tulsa that helps implement 501 TechNet has done it in the past. I worked with a uh, nonprofit organization that used them to help implement. But even taking all that out, I mean, it was one staff member for a very significant amount of time yeah. getting getting all of the information in there, you know, all the... Donors, constituents, just every piece of information you want in there. 
Somebody's got to put it in there. It's not magic. Yes, that's right. That's yeah. right. And um, the analogy that I often use is when people say free, I'm like, hey, would you like a free puppy? Because free in this instance is, uh, you know, you might not be a dog person. And by the way, you need to walk your dog a couple times a week and you got to bring those poop bags. And there's a there's a lot that goes into that. So you may or may not be ready for a free puppy. Yes. Uh, Chris knows all about that. They've been boarding boarding puppies recently. So fostering, 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 not bordering. Yes. Bordering, boarding, boarding. That's the word I was looking for. Listen, we've already decided that words are hard for us. Today. Yes. Words are hard. Well, the, the, the world is coming to an end. So words are hard. Yeah. So what is sure. the pitch to a nonprofit for using salesforce.org? So um, I'll just confess to say that the, you know, the official wording can be seen on the salesforce.org website mm-hmm. at www.salesforce.org. But how I like to talk about Salesforce and when I'm talking to nonprofits who are considering using Salesforce, I, I say that it is um, it has the ability to connect all the information about your constituents in one system. So that's not just using it for things like donor management or marketing and communications or your program tracking. It's a place to do that all in one place. So I think the, you know, one of the struggles is that organizations usually have something to do each one of those pieces, but they don't necessarily have a system that can do all of them together. And I think that's really the power of the Salesforce platform. It is It allows you to do all of those things in one single system. Now, that said, you still have to set it up and, you know, it's not a, it doesn't require zero effort. Uh, it does require some effort to, to get it all configured and, and so on. But the power, once you have all these pieces in place, is, is outstanding. I, I think I know from my own past and other nonprofits, that sometimes when Salesforce.org is talking to organizations, how do they convince them that it's better to spend more time now trying to build a full system than going sort of the easier route of, you know, a program for each thing? So I'll, I'll answer the question uh, a little bit differently, which is that it really depends on what you need. And Salesforce is a fantastic, powerful system. But depending on where you are in your organizational life cycle, you might not need something as powerful as Salesforce. Now, you know, I'm speaking to you as a uh, yes, I work for Salesforce, but because it is a donated product, right, I don't have to sell you on anything. So I think for organizations that are at a particular life stage, you know, have the ability and resources to customize Salesforce to make it work for them, it's true that it can do you know, all the things. I also think that Salesforce is really powerful. They, we have our own app exchange, which is kind of like the app store for Salesforce, which allows you to plug in different best of breed solutions. So if you want to use, for example, um, an email marketing tool, there's a whole selection of email marketing tools that are available that plug into Salesforce. Same with doing something like uh, online fundraising, same deal. So you kind of have your choice of these different tools that integrate with Salesforce. So I think the, you know, I don't necessarily put push organizations to use Salesforce because it does these all-in-one things. I push them. um, I shouldn't say I push. I say, what are your needs? What are your organizational needs? Uh, And then let's find technologies that supports that. And I would say that maybe zooming out a little bit from Salesforce specifically and talking to organizations, specifically nonprofits, about their technology needs, I think they often start with what's the free thing? What's the lowest cost thing? What's the thing that's the like most urgent thing that's on fire now? And let me, you know, apply technology to that rather than doing kind of a a more nuanced and thoughtful requirements gathering process and then finding the solutions that are available. Um, I'm going to point to a couple of resources here for folks uh, that you can put in the show notes.
notes. Um, Idealware.org is one of my favorite uh, sites for, it's kind of a consumer reports for nonprofit software. So pick a category of software and Idealware has kind of reports based on those, you know, software that meet those uh, different categories. So like donor management, for instance. Um, TechSoup.org, which if you've spent any time in the nonprofit sector, you know that TechSoup is kind of your go-to place to get software. They have really active forums as well. So I encourage you to participate there. And then the Nonprofit Technology Network, that's for folks that have some sort of responsibility for technology or organization, even if you're program staff or fundraising or marketing, right? You've been dumped uh, the technology responsibility. Join N10. N10 is a national uh, national network, international network of people who are responsible for tech at their organizations. And that's NTN.org. God, I wish, I wish I knew about that. I was always the tech guy at yeah. my at the jobs I was at, even when they had IT departments, because... You know, sometimes people are afraid to go to the IT departments. So yes, what's, what's usually the biggest technology need that you see with nonprofits? Hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, so N10 has a book called Managing Technology to Meet Your Mission, which I highly, highly recommend. And there's a scale in that book about kind of the different, where are you in your technology uh, planning you know, stage, right? Are you at sort of level one where it's totally reactive, everything's on fire? Um, and in, in those particular instances, right, it's like really fundamental stuff. Like, is there any sort of management of computers, right? Is there a shared file system? Um, really like basic stuff around mm-hmm. security, you know, the, those kind of the, the infrastructure, if you will, of the technology. Um, that tends to be one of like the most urgent things, right? Are people bringing in their own computers and running the organizational information off of their own laptops? And then if you go into, you know, more sophisticated, now you're using technology systems to manage um, organizational information. So maybe they're using uh, Google, right? Google, uh, the Google suite of products or uh, Microsoft, right? Office 365. So then sort of one level up of how are we managing the organization's information? That's email, documents, and so on. And then if you think about going another level up from that, now are there specialized tools to do things like communications and marketing, to do stuff like um, your program management or tracking, your social services organization, do you have a case management system, that kind of stuff. And then sort of moving on up the uh, up the different rungs, all the way to theoretic when you're uh, self-actualized, I guess, to, uh, <laughs> to use a, a totally different um, metaphor here, uh, is, you know, you have have actually a technology planning process that then you're able to evaluate the different pieces of tech to fit in with your with your organization and where you're going. You really want technology to empower employees to do their jobs effectively uh, rather than uh, have it be a barrier and, and get in their way, especially now that as we all move to remote work, you know, is your technology uh, helping you do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, speaking of that, you know, Considering we are now in, in the phase of COVID-19 where a lot of people are going to be working from home, you know, I mean, technology and software that people use have been moving more towards the cloud anyway over the past decade or so. Um, but I think now it's really, there's really going to be a very you know, bright light shown on the fact that the majority of work people do in sort of office jobs, they don't actually need to be in their office to do it. And I'm guessing like is sales, I mean, I, now there's going to be a lot of, I think, interesting tests on Sort of, um, I'm not even sure how to phrase this, but like, I know a lot of like internet and cable companies are removing bandwidth limits and other things to because they know there's gonna be more work done from home. I'm wondering if Salesforce has had conversations about are they ready for like getting lots of like hits or you know bandwidth from instead of centralized locations more 
you know, sporadic locations or if that even matters in this case? Yeah, so Salesforce is a cloud native company and has kind of from the beginning always been offered as software as a service. So, you know, any questions about bandwidth or load or those sorts of things like Salesforce has already dealt with it. So, um, yeah, it's definitely not something to worry about, I think, on the Salesforce end. I think thinking about, you know, nonprofit organizations being uh, able to support remote work from a technological standpoint, I think, is a different story. Right. There, there's kind of two pieces. To this. There's the technological piece. So things like, you know, do you have any sort of a VPN or security uh, type systems, setups, those sorts of things? Do you have devices that are managed by your your companies, you know, by your organizations? And are those devices set up to do things? Things like two-factor authentication. Uh, so that's sort of the technology piece of it. And then there's the cultural piece, which is, okay, are these organizations set up for remote work, right? Are you are you kind of ready to support your team remotely when, you know, particularly in nonprofits where the culture is much more face-to-face and consensus decision-making based, can you translate that into a, to a virtual workspace? Yeah, I think that's something it's, I, I work for a mid-sized bank. We happen to be a large Salesforce customer, but you know, for us, data security is huge with everything we do, whether we're on site or working from home. And it's something I always wonder about with nonprofits, you know, how many of them are actually prepared for true data security when they get especially when they get large enough that that really matters. Yeah, I would say um, certainly larger organizations tend to be more prepared, as in they usually have staff that are um, that are you know, dedicated to this type of function. But when you look at the, you know, who is uh, the size of nonprofit organizations in the U.S., like a vast majority of them are under $500,000 in revenue, right? They're Mm -hmm. running on maybe volunteer labor or a halftime person, maybe one founder, um, but they're they're super small. So I would say that those organizations in particular are most at risk uh, of, of, you know, not being able to, to handle this type of thing. And I think we're, you know, as we're seeing with other small businesses, right, that are not prepared to weather this kind of storm. Um, I think nonprofits are really going to, this is this is going to hit them, particularly smaller organizations, very hard. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know what the numbers look like now, but I feel like the, you know, the last report that I saw around, I don't know if it was Giving USA or some other nonprofit report, but many of these organizations don't have six months runway in the bank, right? They're, they're really precariously financially positioned. So I think it's going to be a, a very telling, you know, next few months, unfortunately. I mean, yeah, the, the, the last place I had a full-time job at, who, whose name we do not mention uh, on this podcast, they didn't even have a sort of shared cloud drive accessible outside the office because they had been hacked a year before via their you know, remote desktop that they were using, which wasn't a very, wasn't very secure remote desktop. Instead of like finding a better version of that, they just didn't allow that. So there was no sharing between even different departments in the place. And I'm like, how are they going to work from home? They can't share the same documents unless they were like me, put all of their, you know, the internal share drive stuff on their Google drive so they get access from home. How are they going to work? How are they going to do their work? Right. And uh, I doubt they're the only ones like that. So, well, and it doesn't even cover how how organizations that do direct service you know because some of those organizations are going to be needed even more now with with uh, schools and other organizations not you know providing the same level of service so how are they going to safely provide that service you know not just from a technology standpoint but you know some of them have to physically be there and physically interact with people so how do you 
how do you give people what they need but keep from you know potentially spreading yeah i think the you know i so california as i'm sure you both know has a pretty severe homelessness issue and you know there are a lot of folks experiencing homelessness here and you know i, I i'm fortunate in that um you know the area that i live in san diego is you know there there are homeless folks around, but it's not, um, it's not totally overwhelming like parts of San Francisco. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a big issue here and I've donated, uh, to some local organizations, but like, I haven't really done any hands-on homelessness work and yeah, the organizations that are serving those individuals, like it's a huge, huge problem, the, the potential spread of COVID-19. So I, yeah, I have no idea what sort of precautions they're taking. Um, but it's, yeah, it's really scary. Mm -hmm. So what do you, what do you see sort of happening the way companies deal with their internal data and infrastructure and sort of workload going forward. If we're really going to, it looks like this, at least the sort of the self exile to home is going to be at least a two month process. Um, how do you, what do you see work like becoming in the next two months? Like how, how organizations that aren't used to maybe having zoom calls all the time or um, using the Microsoft teams or Slack or any of those things where usually those were like internal office things where you could, if something was complicated, you just go talk to the person. That's not going to be the way it's going to, it's going to work for the next maybe eight to 12 weeks. So, yeah, I, th I think this is going to push a lot of organizations who, um, I mean, look, it's no secret that nonprofit organizations are generally not technology early adopters. Right. Yes. Um, and I think this is going to push a lot of organizations to start using some of these tools and, and figure out what works. I think what will what will very what will become very clear over this time is really what is going to uh, are these is there going to be a cultural shift within the organizations as well, in addition to, you know, starting to use these technology tools? Because I think the, um, you know, one of the, one of the challenges is, uh, and again, this is not a, not a secret, not a surprise is right. You, you have kind of the, when you look at the age demographics of folks who work at nonprofit organizations, you sort of have the founder slash boomer, then there's a bit of a dip. And then there's the sort of younger, naive, idealistic folks who are either coming in, coming out of school or coming out of programs, uh, you know, master's programs to in nonprofit management. So it's, it's super interesting. And this is a whole other uh, conversation, which um, I recommend uh, following up with the young nonprofit professional network, ynpn.org to talk more about this. But I think the, you know, those mid career nonprofit folks, there's this big gap in those folks because for whatever reason that, you know, their nonprofit experience led them to, uh, Oh, you know, this is a uh, unsustainable or I can't make enough money. So I'm going to leave the sector and I'm, or I'm going to go back to school or, you know, what have you. So what happens is you have these two kind of double hump of, of what that, um, what that graph looks like in terms of the age groups. And I would argue that the younger people, although they are early technology adopters, they aren't necessarily, uh, thinking about organizational technology, right? They might be more used to, you know, doing social media or their own personal technology, but they're not really thinking strategically about how do I use technology in my organization? organization. So I, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I hope that, uh, you know, the, this use of technology will stick, particularly at organizations that are smaller and more nimble, Well, they'll be able to take most advantage of this stuff, particularly around speedy communication. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if uh, there will be a, a cultural shift around this stuff. 
Well, I, I feel like in my experience, it was always one of the biggest problems was that anytime you wanted to spend money on technology, it was very hard to convince like the members of said nonprofits board of directors that it was worth spending that money because it's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they are they are not of the age where that was a thing you would spend that much money on. But, you know, trying to explain that, you know, we need a cloud based, you know, email service like the email server should certainly should not be on our premises like we should have shared drives that we should be using a you know uh internal chat type program so that we don't have to run to each other's office to ask people questions so there's less emails in our email box it was always hard to get them to understand that was a worthwhile investment and a worthwhile investment they themselves should be helping the nonprofit to make I would I would argue that it's not just technology but organizational development is in general is something that a lot of nonprofits don't focus on not just from a money standpoint but from a time standpoint you know like you're Mark, you were mentioning the young idealist who is their their focus is on you know helping people, right? So they want to get out there, do the program work, or maybe do development work and write grants. Not thinking of how do we build an organization that is sustainable, whether it's through technology or developing staff or training or documentation and procedures, all that stuff. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I, you know, I, I don't want to stereotype that's you know old people bad at technology, young people good at technology, because that's that's not what I'm saying. Like right. it is very much around thinking strategically as an organization, mm-hmm. and you know, as an uh, org dev in particular is is super challenging at nonprofit organizations because right the way that organizations are incentivized is this stupid overhead number is the right. magic number and you have to stay below 10% or whatever and forever anybody who hasn't seen the Dan Pilata TED talk that's you know I, I recommend that you go watch that but yeah I think it's true that technology has traditionally been on that uh, oh it's overhead we're not going to fund it same with mm-hmm. organizational development stuff learning and development for employees I hope that this crisis will you know will uh, put a spotlight on you know what maybe we should invest in this stuff because Mm -hmm. if something like this happens again then you know you want to be prepared yeah and i I think there some of the some of the more sophisticated funders are starting to look focus more on outcomes less on you know what is some you know arbitrary percentage or something like that they're looking at you know how many people are you helping what is what is the the money being used for which is showing a little bit of a better Showing that that organizations can be effective even if they're at twenty percent overhead or whatever, than an organization that is so thin at ten percent that they can't actually be nimble and help that many people. It was interesting in Boston to watch that transition happen a little bit earlier than it's happening here, where mm-hmm. there was a, a very large push from the larger nonprofit organizations to be like, we need to talk about what you're calling overhead because mm-hmm. what that is is technology. And talent. Right. And if we don't have the money to hire the talented people, then we're never going to get the outcomes that you want. Mm-hmm. And, you know, viewing nonprofit professionals as professionals is a constant problem. And that's, you know, that's definitely something I noticed here a little bit, that the view of the view of nonprofit professionals as sort of glorified paid volunteers is something that needs to change if they want to successfully accomplish mm-hmm. the goal they're trying to accomplish. But so let's now transition to the more specific thing we talked about earlier. I want to talk about data. Development debate, uh, development <laughs> databases in particular. Uh, cool. So we want to talk about fundraising. Yes. Oh, I just want to talk about the technology side of it because that's what I dealt with the most. And I always found it interesting that it's one of those things like in technology a lot that the people who design something 
like who are very talented in user interfaces and the coding parts, but aren't necessarily, they don't know what the job is that they're building this program for. And then the person using the program is like, why is this here? Like, this doesn't help me in any way. Like, why is it so complicated to get from A to B to C? And that mostly, you know, that affected me the most when it came to like running, you know, financial reports, like on gifts over time, the the soft crediting of foundations to the person, like all these different things. Like some of them were there for legal reasons. Some of them were just there because I don't know that that's how they decided to build it in. But I'm curious about how Salesforce specifically sort of when they when they build something new or when they're, you know, switching from, you know, a couple of years ago, Salesforce switched their user interface from one thing to another. And there, were, there was a lot of hubbub about that. I know you can still switch back to the old one, but like what goes into how you build what it looks like to the people using it versus what it's doing, like sort of behind the scenes? This is, this is a great question and gets, I think, to the heart of software development. Um, so I want to go back to the example that you used because you talked about development databases, but you talked about running financial reports. So your, um, your user persona, if you'll forgive the tech language here, your user persona here is you're actually finance user, right? You're not, you, you may also be a, a fundraiser, but I'm guessing that my needs as a fundraiser are a little bit different than my needs as a, as a finance person, finance user, right? So if you sort of put your fundraiser hat on, right, I need to be able to quickly look up information about people, about foundations, about grants, right? Uh, donations, individual donations and organizational donations. That Those are the things that I might need to do as a fundraiser. However, as a finance person, I need to run a report on all the grants from a particular funder or all the donations that came in this calendar year or fiscal year or something like that. So, um, and there's an overlap there, but it's not a one-to-one, right? The finance needs are a little bit different than the uh, fundraising needs. And by the way, just moving, uh, we don't have to go too far down this road, but like your finance report might count that donation when that check comes in, but your fundraiser is going to count it when they get that verbal commit, right? So the sort of optimistic, like, well, I'm going to count this thing because they said that they were going to give the money. And the finance person says, "Uh uh-uh, when I get a check is when we're going to count that, right? And that's when it's going to go on the book. So again, the the reports that the fundraiser might need versus the reports that the finance person might need are are a little bit different. So, um, when when folks are, um, you know, when you're thinking about, hey, this system doesn't seem to be designed for my needs, it's because people either don't understand the business, right? So they don't really know what the business process is, or the user, um, you know, the user persona is off, or the use case is kind of not 100% there. So I think there's, you know, there's a there's a whole mix of factors that go into this stuff. I'll say this about the salesforce.org product development team. I kind of can't really speak to the salesforce.com team, but the .org product development team, many of those folks actually came from nonprofits and they know what that those user um, user stories are, those user personas, because in some, in many cases, they were those people, right? They were either the IT person responsible for managing it, or they were fundraisers, or they were, you know, marketing folks. So a lot of the folks um, at Salesforce.org have actually kind of lived it at their or various organizations. So they, when they're building it, they're sort of building it to themselves. But there's a whole product council, and they work with, uh, they work with customers to kind of test uh, and prove stuff. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say there's um, uh, there's a nonprofit stream, uh, there's the nonprofit cloud, but there's also an education cloud. So there's a bunch of um, uh, tools available for higher education and, and K through 12 education customers as well. It, ultimately, no, 
no database survives contact with the users. Right? Yeah, that's, that's for sure. <laughs> that's right. the, the same with any piece of technology, right? You, when you when you give people technology, they're going to find a way to kind of use it in ways that you didn't expect. So all you can do is test, 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 and get it in front of people uh, sooner rather than later. So it's the same with uh, donor databases and just the same as, you know, apps on your phone and so mm-hmm. on. Well, I'm always fascinated because... A lot of times the stuff that you have to do to sort of optimize, whether it's a database or a program, so it performs, it runs as quickly as it can so people use it versus the things you have to do to make make things, I'll say, nicely user-friendly. But frankly, a lot of programs you have to kind of idiot-proof, otherwise people won't use them, right? It has to be exactly where they want every at every moment. So, you know, I'm always fascinated by how you balance those two things. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'll... I'll, I'll go out on a limb here and say one of the um, one of the common criticisms of Salesforce um, in general and to Salesforce.org and the nonprofit success pack is that it's you know there's too it's too complicated right that's sort of an overall criticism and I think what where that comes from is you know we've kind of erred on the side of giving you a lot of control as, as an administrator. What that means is, is there's a lot of flexibility and there's a lot of ways to set the system up. I think where, um, folks kind of where that criticism comes from is there aren't enough of the, like, here's a wizard to do the thing. Right. Um, and there are other tools that are out there that are like much more streamlined and much more user-friendly, but perhaps not as powerful and not as configurable. I think Salesforce is like in its infinite, you know, near seemingly infinite configuration it is complicated right and with great power comes great responsibility but um, because it is it is more complicated more configurable it can handle so much more in terms of use cases and all those sorts of things but you know for a like super small organization that like is laser focused on doing donor management and that's really the thing that they need salesforce might not be the right solution for them there are there are other solutions out there for that so you know we have a lot of um like you know entrepreneurship type programs here in Tulsa. And, you know, there's a lot of people starting out doing, trying to do new things, trying to build their own businesses. And so this is more of a salesforce.com versus salesforce.org question. But like you've already mentioned some resources for, you know, how best to figure out what programs you need and, you know, researching what has worked and what hasn't. What else could you recommend to people who are like, well, they're, they're starting something. Say, for example, they're a business of one person. And hypothetically speaking, happens to be a podcast production. Possibly, just possibly. hypothetically, like <laughs> what systems are good? You know, what are the best systems to sort of put in place first when someone is just just starting out in a sort of a new business, whether it's a nonprofit or a for profit business? Yeah, so I'll, I'll go back to what we were talking about earlier, the kind of different levels of technology. I think, you know, at fundamentally you need some way to manage information at your organization, right? That's like things like email, calendar, documents, right? Like those basics, you got to have those. Even if you're an organization of one, um, I was a consultant and it was just me and I helped organizations implement cloud-based technology. This is a few years ago now. This is prior to my joining Salesforce. And, you know, I was a company of one, but I needed to store 
documents. I needed to, you know, send emails. I needed to maintain a calendar. And I, you know, could I have done that with my personal Gmail? Probably. But I paid for, in this case, I paid for Google Apps. Um, the G Suite is the, the kind of new branding of it. But I was like, I know that I want the additional functionality of the business stuff, not just because I could do things like video meetings and calendars, but I wanted the ability to, um, you know, there was some other functionality that was really useful for me as a, as a business owner. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly what the, what my needs were, but I was pretty clear. Like I actually went through a like proper requirements process. Like, okay, what do I need? Right. As a, as a one person business owner, that is probably going to work with freelancers. Um, I knew that I needed, you know, a, a couple of different email aliases, right. I wanted an info at, I wanted a help at, you know, these are the kinds of things that like, if you're doing, you know, if you're setting up sort of a business or an organization, right, this is not something you really want to run out of a, out of a Gmail, personal Gmail account or personal email account or Outlook email account. I lean towards Google, but um, Outlook uh, and the Microsoft suite of tools have come a long way since, since I was looking. This is probably 10 plus years ago. Um, so, so again, figure out what your needs are find the solution there. Don't just listen to me and what my needs were because they may be different than what your needs are. Um, so information management, first thing. Second thing, do you need to do things like, you know, again, thinking about a small nonprofit, are you doing fundraising? Okay, great. That's a need. Are you doing more than fundraising? Are you doing marketing and communication? Okay. That's another need. There are a bunch of tools that are available to do that kind of stuff. Um, uh, things like podcast production, for instance, there are a whole bunch of specialized tools to, uh, mm. to do things like that, to either record podcasts, there's hardware, there's software, um, and where are you storing these giant podcast files, right? Yeah, Cause these things sure. can get, can get yes. really big. So again, these are like the specialized tools for, for, you know, in this case podcast, but in a nonprofit, right. You might have, uh, you might be doing intakes with, with your, um, with clients and how are you storing that information and, and those sorts of things. So there's, a lot of, I think, you know, organizationally, you want to make sure that you have the kind of software technology. And we haven't even talked about the hardware. Like, you know, if you're a full-time company, you should probably have company-owned hardware, right? So there should be a, a, you know, a proper organization set up. So if you're a nonprofit, you're a 501c3. Uh, If you're a business, you're, you know, you're an LLC, you're a corporation, right? You're an S-corp, you're a Um, C-corp. This stuff gets into, you know, you should talk to your legal person and your tax advisor Mm because there's all sorts of implications here. But when you're thinking about these things, right, there's a lot that goes into, okay, we're setting up an organization and now we need to think about our technology uh, strategically as opposed to, yeah, I'm going to buy a laptop and buy the Apple Care plan for for my MacBook. But it's, it's much more than that as an, as an organization that you need to be thinking about. Well, and I, I think, you know, what you said, you know, early on there is that, that you went through a full, you know, needs assessment. You did, you... It seems like a lot of people, whether they're an organization or an individual, they start with a solution in mind or whether it's, you know, they've heard about Google. So they're going to go with that and then figure out which needs that will solve instead of going the reverse and saying, okay, what are my requirements? What are my needs? And then figuring out what's the best solution. And that seems to be a pretty significant organizational issue that 
I see even in very large corporations. 100%. I would say on the nonprofit side, Idealware has some really great workbooks to kind of take you through that requirements gathering process, even if you've never done it before. So I, you know, again, I can't say enough good things about Idealware and TechSoup and N10 as resources for folks who work at nonprofits to go through that process. Because otherwise it's a mystery, right? You don't, you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Now that that's very interesting. That's, yeah, I should start using my personal Gmail account for my business. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I already have too many email addresses to begin with. Ugh. Anyway, you can uh, set up forwards. You can set up aliases. Yeah. Like, you, you can still check one inbox, but you should not be using your personal <laughs> Gmail for your business. Yeah, who, who would do that, amateurs? <laughs> um, the, there's there's actually a, the company in town that we were talking about, other than 501 Tech, um, there's also a, a nonprofit, Asimio, that does mm-hmm. sort of Salesforce Im- implementation. I mean, they I think they, they use other services if need be, but I know from conversations with their executive director that they they help set up Salesforce for nonprofits here in town. So mm-hmm. we'll link we'll link to them in the the show notes if they pay us. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I'm curious about that. I mean, because it is difficult. I mean, it is can be difficult and time consuming, and takes some level of expertise to implement. So, what kind of what kind of uh, support or recommendations does Salesforce.org make when with the nonprofit? I'm so glad you asked this, Chris. So (laughs) we have an online learning platform called Trailhead. Trailhead is the fun way to learn Salesforce. And we have a whole bunch of trails. So think of a trail like a, you know, a a playlist of of cool learning modules uh, to learn the nonprofit success pack, which is the kind of primary product. And we have trails to learn the education data architecture, which is the kind of same thing on the education side. So I recommend that folks go to trailhead.salesforce.com and you can filter by uh, the nonprofit cloud to find the nonprofit products. So that would be place one that I would go. The other thing that um, you can do, once you sign up for a sales source account and you kind of get your login and give you know give your 501c3 information over to kind of get your account officially approved from a trial to a full featured account you then have access to the power of us hub and that's our online community dedicated to nonprofits using salesforce and and educational organizations using salesforce so you can participate in the community in the power of us hub and there are uh, i don't know the latest numbers i used to know this but there were thousands and thousands and probably still are thousands and thousands of folks in the power of us hub where you can talk to folks at any hour of the day or night there is somebody in there online willing to help you i i used that system a little while a couple years ago when i was possibly getting a job that required a lot of salesforce knowledge and it's a really fun way of like a of teaching you how to use something it was really nice i liked it it was your recommendation head specifically yes i got many badges Mm. many badges with cute animals so (laughs) Uh, it's a gamified learning platform. Yep. So yes, you earn you earn badges, you get points, you move up ranks. It's it was fun. pretty fun. Is that uh, uh, learning for Salesforce.com as well as .org and the education? Mm-hmm. You got it. Yep. It's uh, it's across our full kind of suite of products, and it's actually not just limited to Salesforce. We have a bunch of content on Trailhead that is not Salesforce related at all. Um, I think we've just put up some stuff around uh, effectively working from home and doing uh, really good virtual collaboration. Nice. So I think we're you know we're trying to highlight some of that content uh, obviously in these times. So yeah. definitely check out trailhead.salesforce.com. You do not need a Salesforce account to sign up there. You can just sign up uh, with an email address. So check out Trailhead. Do the Salesforce.com animals have like little monocles and top hats to differentiate themselves from the nonprofit ones? Anyway, uh, there there are a number of different uh, Salesforce characters. <laughs> I encourage you to meet them all on Trailhead. 
Yeah. One of them actually is the Monopoly guy. Yes. Excellent. No, that's uh, that's under copyright. Yeah. <laughs> Monopoly-esque <laughs> looking type person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Old-timey rich man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you have any other questions? <laughs> sorry, sorry. I just I love the the just the non copyright version is just old timey rich man. Yeah, mm. I mean that's I mean am I wrong? I, uh, I appreciate Mark just smiling in the background while we make fools of ourselves. He's used to it. So, on the microphone. Least, so <laughs> I mean, listen. The great the greatest thing about being your own editor is that I can cut out this, <laughs> and I will. So I'll sound better. Nice. So I, I so if. One of our listeners happens to work with a, a nonprofit and they would like to learn more, reach out, understand whether Salesforce is the right tool for them. What would they do? Where would they go? So the first place that I encourage anyone who is interested in learning more is the salesforce.org website. And you can go to www.salesforce.org and you can actually sign up for your own trial of Salesforce right then and there. You don't actually have to talk to a human. Uh, It (laughs) sort of looks like that you do, but you don't. You can sign up for your own trial of Salesforce and get started uh, with it. But again, as I mentioned, it's pretty complicated and it's not necessarily super intuitive. So signing up for a trial uh, will get you started. I actually encourage folks to do trailhead trails as well. So if you just go to trailhead.salesforce.com, you can follow along in the trailhead trial and sort of see what the system looks like and see how it's intended to be used. So I think those two things are where I would go, salesforce.org and sign up for uh, and sign up for trailhead as well and look for the nonprofit trails. Um, and of course, folks are more, you know, I'm happy to, um, if you want to reach out to me directly, my email is mbaseman at salesforce.com. I'm not a salesperson, but you're welcome to reach out to me. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, don't worry. We can edit out the the pauses. That'll oh yeah. Be fine. I mean, there are no Great. pauses. Wink. Yeah. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be weird if I leave that part in to get rid of the sentences. Um, well, again, we we normally end our podcast with having our guests like pick a nerdy thing in our recording studio to talk about. But since you can't really see anything, uh, uh, I feel like we could still. Let's see. Okay, so what is your particular pop culture or nerd cup of tea? And we can see, we can yeah. do the reverse. Let him suggest something. That's true. See yeah. if you have something that fits. Mm, I like it. Are you, are you thinking about, like, if I said, I love The Expanse, for instance? Yeah. Uh, hold do on. Do you have an Expanse? You- I do. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Ah, Sounds yes. Yes. So I have a little... Rosanante. Rosanante. Oh, it's the Rossi. Yeah. Nice. Haha. <laughs> Did I you get it? Could you? Could you actually see the Rosanante there? Okay. I could, I could just a touch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're we're part of the Kickstarter for the big one, so we'll get that at some oh, point in the future. Cool. Yes. That was in simpler times when you know uh, the world wasn't ending. So. Uh, right. But I love Stephen Colbert, who was like, "I didn't think I would ever say this, but boy, I miss 2019." Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. That's yeah. True. Uh, wow. Uh, <sighs> Yeah. Well, cool. on that note, <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. Thank, yeah, thank, thank you, you for, for joining, joining us. us. Yes, uh, we, Chris and I, both love San Diego from mm-hmm. our our time there, sleeping on the ground for San yes. Diego Comic Con, and um, you know, maybe yeah. we'll, maybe we'll go back one day. I don't know. I mean, if you're it, welcome anytime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If there is, if there is a San Diego Comic Con in say 2021, if there maybe. is a San Diego, no. yeah. <laughs> Too far? I think that's too far. <laughs> too, too dark. Too dark. <laughs> too dark. Too dark. Okay. All right. Well, uh, enjoy going back to your bunker, and uh, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. 
Thank you all for joining us for Pod for Good's first, but definitely not last, remote interview. Considering this interview was over two weeks ago, I can only imagine how stir-crazy Chris and I will sound for the next episode. Please help us help other people by sharing this podcast on social media and, of course, subscribing on the myriad podcasting services out there. Please stay safe out there, everybody. Wash your hands and get it done, Tulsa. Mm-hmm.